Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, let's talk about training. Uh, we're going to be at HITS in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, 2020, August 18th through the 21st. Eric and I are actually going to be instructing. Uh, so head over to HITS K9, letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. Don't wait to the last minute like I know all of you people do. Head over and get signed up now before the prices increase. RayAllen.com. If you own a dog, train dogs of any sort, pet dogs, working dogs, any dog you could have, RayAllen.com, one-stop shop for anything you need. Stick around during the podcast. Listen for the discount codes, RayAllen.com, best in the business. Yeah, one of our favorite partners who signed on for the rest of this year is Dogtra. Uh, excellent remote collars and the ball trainer. I got like four of those things at the kennel. They're awesome. Popper and a dropper. I've got the Pro and the first version. Um, and one of my favorites is the 1900S. Head over to Dogtra.com and check out everything they got. And then listen in the, in the middle of the episode for the discount code. If you want a great dog, great training, and want to go hang out in Florida and do all that, especially in the wintertime, our great friends at Southern Coast Canine, uh, they're amazing down there. They've been doing it a long time. they got single-purpose, dual-purpose trainer schools, handler schools, admin schools down in the Daytona, Florida area, southerncoastcanine.com. And one of our favorite 501s is the guys from Georgia Canine Foundation. After dogs retire, there's a lot of associated costs, and the departments generally don't cover those. It's on the handler to, to cover that. Those guys at the Georgia Police Canine Foundation take care of those dogs post-retirement. Head over to the website, check it out, buy some T-shirts, and donate some money, and take care of the dogs after they get done working. So if you uh, want a kennel, you want to be in a kennel business or you have one, you need to expand. Horizonstructures.com is amazing. They will show up at your place, prefab, pre-built kennel, plug it into your sewer, into your water, into your power, on your property, drop it, hook up, put dogs in it that day. It's amazing. Horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody. Working Dog Radio, we are back broadcasting The Bite Another great episode. Uh, I am Eric Stambro over in Ohio. With me, as always, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is my co-host, Ted Summers. Ted, what's going on? Still handler school. <laughs> I got four dudes here. The, new, the news came out today, though. That was interesting. Um, we have a dog um, that there, 2017... Um, there was an officer shot and killed here in Oklahoma. Uh, he was a canine handler in a small town called Tecumseh, Oklahoma. Uh, he had a 16-week-old puppy at the time. Um, dog's name is Onyx. Um, Onyx was then given by the family to the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office, and um, the guys in Shawnee, Oklahoma, the canine handlers down there, did the imprinting on the dog for narcotics. They did a great job. Um, he knows his odors. That's for damn sure. Uh, they then brought the dog to us for finishing up and then for tracking and apprehension work. And, um, so the news came out to kind of do a story about, you know, that and how I didn't even realize it was the dog, the same dog until like three or four weeks ago. And I, I had no clue. So it's kind of a full circle thing. They just sentenced that dude to death. Um, which pretty good. It was a normal traffic stop. Dude just got out and fucking smoked him. And, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it was, a, it was, yeah. Yeah. So Onyx is, uh, 
carrying on for officer attorney. His handler's name is uh, Jared Strand, and Jared's going to do a good job with him. That sheriff down there is a good dude, and um, they're behind the program. And so, yeah, he's got another month with me, though, so he'll be here for a minute. Other than that, I got dudes from Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma. I think that's it. Yeah, all over the place. So uh, Travis has started his handler or uh, trainer school, so he's here, and we're getting ready to head to uh, we're getting ready to head to Dover for HRD, uh, the second HRD of the year, and uh, with the Delaware State Police. So looking forward to that. We leave on Sunday, so should be good. What about you? Same with same Um, what? Uh, I have a dog uh, leaving Thursday. I'm delivering a dog to um, Knox County Sheriff's Office over in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, pretty excited about that uh, dog trip that I have, dual purpose explosive dog. They're uh, <clears throat> getting him. He's a good dog, man. He's like a real street dog, so he'll do good th- stuff over there. Um, the usual stuff, man. I, I get the uh, went. My wife and I went today to the uh, the new facility to see, you know, how the cleanup and everything's going, getting it ready. I get the keys March first. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Um, I just walking around there. I get lost in the place. There's so many rooms, man, and so Excellent. many things to do, hallways and all kinds of stuff, so I'm pretty excited about it. The other thing I was thinking about, too, is because the weather uh, is, was okay for a couple of days and it's turned kind of shitty here. I guess we're going to get dumped on snow. Is, and Patreon members, this is not a commercial. This is a job opportunity. Um, oh, yeah. Every time it's shitty here, I think about everybody training dogs in the warm weather. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the Heisers down at Southern Coast Canine are looking for a trainer. They have an opening. Contact Southern Coast Canine if you want to go work for a, a good-sized kennel, training dogs in Florida, pretty busy. I mean, if you play your card right, maybe he'll take you to Europe and you can learn how to pick dogs out, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Southern Coast Canine, they need a trainer. Get on their website, email them, check them out. Get on it, though. It's a uh, well-paying job. Um, you don't want to miss out. In Florida. Where I hear it, I hear it doesn't yeah. snow. So and that. <laughs> it doesn't. It, I mean, listen, it's going to be warm, but shit. Um, it gets cold at Iguana Falls. So tonight, the trees. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Tonight we are circling back um, to uh, a, one of our guests that has, every time we put up a thing of what was your favorite episodes uh, of the year for sure, this guest was always mentioned. Um, he's been brought up several times. Uh, I think it was episode two, two or three. I think it was three. Yeah. But uh, we welcome from Logan House Kennels uh, our buddy Mike Subtle. Mike, how are you? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good to be back on here again. Yes, we've. Uh, like thanks for taking time out. I know you're busy, man. Yeah, it's super busy down there. Um, oh, no, you got no, more no shit going on. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so well, last time we talked to you. Last time we talked to you, you were getting ready for the uh, that big uh, run and everything you had down there. Um, how did 2019 go for you? Yeah, it's uh, the the mud run is growing steadily. Uh, it's gaining a lot of popularity, and and I think uh, I would imagine it's going to continue to grow for the next several years. It's a lot of fun. You should got you guys should come down and check it out. We get, we usually get <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I'm just getting over a bad case of the flu. We um, the first year we had about 50 runners. Second year we had a little over 100, uh, a little more than that last year. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want it to be as big as the one down in Alabama. I just don't have the. I don't have the staff to to accommodate something that big. But 
you know, if we can get a couple hundred runners, a couple hundred good dudes up here to hang out for the weekend, and it's a hell of a good time. I really enjoy it. And I'm I'm sure you can get some pretty good mud going down there where you're at. Oh. Oh, yeah, there's no shortage of mud up here, that's for sure. You know, we've got about 100 cattle out here that kind of help make our mud a little more interesting, too. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So, last time we had you on, we talked about breeding. We talked about uh, finding the unicorn, you know, these bloodlines of... uh, Do go to, baby. bad and... Bringing him back. Yeah, whoop, whoop. Somebody (laughs) just brought him up to me the other day. I'm like, you should go listen to our podcast. That motherfucker's been dead since Clinton was in office. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah so so coming uh, back we talked yeah we talked to you about uh some of the military working dogs that you've put out some you know some that you and i both knew were familiar with mm-hmm. um but we wanted to circle back so if you guys have listened to the last two episodes or you know marker training and then um the episode that just came out with brian gagey was um kind of the opposite of that, I would say, uh, more more psychology, a little bit less on the marker. Um, <clears throat> so those were pretty heady episodes, and I'm like, we we need to get uh, subtle back on and talk all things puppy, puppy imprinting, puppy raising, that type of stuff, because um, you know, in this country, you're widely accepted as one of the top few guys dealing with puppies. Your puppy program is is well known the training classes that you have. I've known several people have gone through it and they're always amazed at the stuff you can get a nine week old puppy to do that you never thought you could do. So we figured let's, let's get a hold of Mike. Uh, our producer, Alicia said, uh, Hey, you want to come on and talk about puppy shit with the guys? <laughs> and, uh, <Mike's> like, sure. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's a pretty broad generalization, but, um, so, um, let's start with, Let's start with, uh, f- we're going to be talking working dog puppies, like uh, Dutch Shepherds, Mouths, Shepherds, or whatever it is that you're, you're into. Let, talk real quick about like some of the biggest myths that you have heard propagated in the puppy business. Uh, you know, I think probably one that I hear a lot is the expectation that whatever puppy, you know, a particular individual may have, uh, is destined for greatness because his father was a police dog, you know, or, oh. or you know, his great-grandfather on the mother's side, you know, was a police dog. Uh, you know, that certainly is, is a big myth that a lot of people are, you know, that they believe that if, for, first of all, maybe that's true, maybe it isn't, maybe it was actually a police dog, probably it wasn't. But, you know, certainly even if it were, that that's no guarantee that the puppy you have in front of you is destined to also become a police dog. And a lot of people don't understand that, I think. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, for sure. I see that all the time. I think and a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of agencies get duped by that. Um, that they buy. It really frustrates me when I see police departments, sheriff's departments or whatever buying puppies, um, I get the mileage, the PR mileage you get out of it. But, you know, after, guys, after the first couple of weeks, this is the age of the internet. People move on. So you got a cute puppy. They've seen it a couple of weeks. Now you got a dog that's pissing in the handler's house. You're, you're expecting this guy who does not know how to raise a puppy. Your trainer most likely does not know how to raise a puppy. 
training, trying to keep this dog, and it's going to be at least a year before you see any dividends in it. I, I guess I will never understand it. Ted, is that a thing over where you're at? Oh, yeah. No, and Oklahoma is kind of weird because, um, you know, and here dogs aren't really valuable, um, and even on the law enforcement side. So everybody that knows everybody knows everybody, and they all have access to a Malinois or a German Shepherd or some pointy or something or other. <clears throat> and in the last decade, I've had two dogs come through the kennel that people call, and they're like, oh, I got a dog. I think it'd be a great police dog. I'm like, oh, yeah? Why is that? And they tell me, and I'm like, all right, cool. I'll look at him. And I've had two, two, exactly two, one single purpose and one dual purpose. And the one dual purpose turned out to be a phenomenal dog. And in fact, he, he's four years old and just got his first bite a couple months ago. And then they put it on the news, which was pretty interesting. Um, super nice dog. His name's Borg. Uh, but you know, I think there is a, a couple of things going on with this one, you know, when we start looking at Europe, I think, you know, Mike, when you were on last time, we talked about that pool getting overfished. Those people have, you know, a hundred and something years of experience raising puppies and selling them into this type of thing. So there are people in this country that are doing a good job like you and like Seth Morozowski, you know, Chip Johnson, Kendall's doing a good job. There are people that are doing a good job raising these dogs, but as a whole, culturally, we don't have the experience doing it. Um, I would like that to change so that I don't have to import dogs anymore, but it is what it is for right now. So, you know, one of the biggest myths too, you know, aside from the fact that this dog was a police dog, so, uh, or allegedly was a police dog, so he must create police dogs, right? Right. Uh, We talked about that a little bit on the episode three and that's just not the case. Um, That, no, that doesn't happen. Um, One of the other things is like, you know, a lot of people think that, okay, well, I've got these two dogs and... Um, I've got these two dogs and they, we put them together, they produce 10 puppies. So I've got 10 police dog prospects and that's how they sell them, right? Like the, all three are going to be fire or, I mean, all 10 are going to be fire. They're going to be, you know, all 10 are going to be, you know, working prospects at eight months old. They're going to be showing this, they're going to be showing that and everything else. And I'm like, eh, you must be better than me because ours is hovering at around 60 ish percent. And, you know, one of our main breeding females has produced 22 patrol dogs um, and that's a, and they're nice, nice dogs. Um, we had several that did not make it, um, in terms of working, they all made it, they're alive, but they're not definitely not working quality. So, you know, what's been your experience at Logan Austin? I mean, you have a very successful program. So, I mean, I would think that whatever your average is, is probably a pretty good target. Yeah. I think if you're doing 60%, you're doing something really well, to be honest with you. You know, it's, it, it can be a, those percentages can be a little misleading depending on how you look at them. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I take a litter of 10 puppies and I sell all 10 puppies uh, to, you know, random or, or various, you know, people with, with varying degrees of skill and ability, um, you know, sometimes the percentages are a reflection of the way they were trained. Sometimes the percentages are a reflection of, of their actual genetics. If I keep if I take a litter of 10 puppies that are born here and I pick the best two puppies, you know, from that group, and then we pour all the correct time and effort into, into bringing, raising those puppies up, well, at that point, we can have better than a 60% success rate. Uh, but, you know, we've taken the cream of the crop and then put a lot of experience in behind raising them. But, if, right. you know, if I just take 10 random puppies, 
you know, and track their progress, you know, two years down the road and then bring it back in for evaluation. The number of dogs that pass our selection test, 60% would be a stretch, to be honest. Um, you know, so it just depends on, I guess, what numbers you're looking at. But, you know, even talking to the guys at Lackland, Stuart Hilliard's a good friend of mine, and I, he's been up here several times, and, and we've, we've had this discussion a lot. Um, and he, even he will tell you, you know, with all the money and, and all the resources that Lackland Air Force Base has to, to dump into their DOD program, uh, 50% is a very, very difficult number to reach. Um, so if you're doing, you know, anything above 50%, I consider it to be vastly successful, um, regardless of, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that will tell you they get 80, 90, 100% even. Um, you know, my, my experience, my, my opinion of that is, is, one, they just don't know what they're looking at or they're just not looking hard enough. Certainly if you're getting 100%, I, I don't know that you're doing something right. I think you just need to change your standards. That's my opinion. Right, which kind of leads me into the next question. So I routinely see you interact with people on social media uh, or somebody from Logan Haas. And occasionally um, you guys will have litters. And like we're talking about, not all those dogs are meeting some of the criteria that you have for um, a working prospect. That doesn't mean the litter is bad. It just means that these individual dogs out of this litter just didn't have they didn't like whatever one sperm med egg it just didn't like take that well and there's nothing nothing wrong with them health wise nothing wrong with them they just don't have something so um aside from the fact that you give them away and people try and convince people otherwise they're like oh i can i can i'm better than whoever and i'll be able to make this dog work or whatever that's a different conversation altogether but you know yeah. what? At what age are you making that decision, and what are you like looking at, and to to make that um, determination to say, well, you know, it's probably going to send this dog to an active pet home. Yeah, you know, the first thing we have to look at there is the breed. You know, so if I look at traits that, you know, if I look at traits that are more likely to cause an adult dog to to wash out or or to fail my selection testing. You know, there are some breeds that are more likely to, to excel in some areas, and some breeds are more likely to, you know, to have shortcomings in some areas. You, for example, if we look at a Malinois, you know, if, if I look at all the adult Malinois that I test, you know, the overwhelmingly the ones that, that we wash out fail for some type of environmental sensitivity. Right. Um, if I look at German Shepherds, most of the German Shepherds that we test as adults typically are more stable dogs, but oftentimes they lack the intensity that we're looking for. Um, you know, if, if I look at a lab as an adult, for example, very seldom does an adult lab not hunt well enough, you know, assuming we're looking at field trial labs, which is the only thing right. we consider testing anyway. Very seldom does an adult field trial te- lab not test well in an open field when we're testing his hunt drive. You know, so we have to look at the, you know, what, what are things that fail the adults? And then when I'm looking at puppies, I want to make damn sure I'm getting puppies that are at least solid in the areas that they're more likely to fail as adults. So if I'm looking at a Malinois litter, to, to make this explanation shorter and easier to understand, if I'm looking at a Malinois litter, the most important thing for me at an eight-week-old you know, time frame is going to be environmental soundness. You know, I want a dog that's stable and confident, bold and outgoing, environmentally reckless. That's my biggest criteria when I'm looking at Malinois because I know that's where they're most likely to fail as they, you know, as they develop, as they become adults. If I'm looking at a Labrador, you know, on litter, you know, whether he hunts or not, 
I'm not going to wash them out for that because I, I, I assume the genetics being what they are, the hunting is going to develop. And with a Malinois, I assume the genetics are in place that the drive will develop so long as the as the nerve strength doesn't cause that drive to diminish. Um, and then again, with the German Shepherd, I'm going to assume he's going to be a little more stable. Um, I'm going to be more picky about my German Shepherd puppies. I'm going to look closely at their at their prey drive early on because that's what they're most likely to fail for. But my Malinois are going to be more picky about their nerve strength early on because that's what they're more likely to fail for. Um, having said that, of course, there's you know there's no magic you know crystal ball that I have that I look into the future and say okay for 100 percent this puppy's not going to make it and this puppy is, but you know if I see a puppy and we've had several litters now I'm over 100 you know so we're talking about over a thousand puppies that we've watched develop. Not a you, small you sample to, size. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's as big as, as most breeders probably have to you know as a database to, to you know to, to compare it to. Um, you know, and, and all I'm doing is just stacking the odds in my th- Now, does that mean that I'm not, never wrong? Of course not. Absolutely. There's been times when I've said, hey, we're going to wash this puppy out. And then, you know, lo and behold, four months later, the dog has turned around. And, hey, you know, that's, that's a gift for everybody. I'm still happy to see the dogs working out. You're happy as hell because you got the dog for free or at a, at a drastically reduced price. And everybody's happy. But if I see a puppy that, that has these shortfalls, and I decide to take the chance to sell them as a, as a working dog, knowing that I see shortfalls, and then those shortfalls don't don't fix themselves, which is more likely than not to happen. Well, now nobody's happy, right? Now I see a dog that I sold for full price, and I, I feel bad because you're dealing with the problem, and you're certainly not happy because you paid full price, and you've got a problem that hasn't gone away. So to avoid that, we just if I see a problem or any sign of a problem, you know, it's way easier for me to cut my losses early, give the puppy away, or sell it as a as an active pet for for a big deep discount, and and nobody's unhappy with that. Um, you know, so that's kind of the kind of the policy that we that we look for there. And you know, because we do have several litters, um, I'm, I'm always going to have another another litter is always going to be here. We can pick from you know, pick pick the better ones and and cut our losses on the ones that aren't quite as good. You know, if you have one one or two litters a year, I guess you you may be more likely to, you know, to kind of turn your turn your eye, I guess, to those problems to pretend they don't exist. But we're fortunately we're in a position where we can afford to be very very picky with our selection, and and it's just if there's a question mark, I'd way rather uh, you know reduce the price or, or even give it away and not have anybody that's upset about it. Because we do have working in a health guarantee, so it's it's just a pain ass for everybody. If if I see a problem. Uh, you know, it's it's way easier for me to give it away now than it is to go back eight eight months, ten months down the road, and now we got to worry about tipping the replacement out and getting that one back, and it's just not worth it. Yeah. So, so if you're in the puppy business, do you? I would imagine um, it, it, the size that you are, um, you have to build up a network of potential people to give or sell the pet dog quality puppies out. Does it take a while to get we, that built up or is it just you put things out and people come? Well, at this point, you know, I, I guess the answer, yeah, I'm sure it did take a while, but at this point it's, if you ever want, if I have a puppy that, that we lower the price on or wash out and give away for free or whatever, it, I, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you it's, it's, normally less than 10 minutes. Even if I posted at one in the morning, 
by 105, there's someone who says, I'll take it. Um, so we, we've got a, a really good, deep, you know, pool of, of people who are always on standby, ready, ready to take those dogs. Uh, and they give them fantastic homes. You know, we, we've got, it, it, regardless of whether we, you know, if we sell a dog as a gear working dog or we give away dogs as a pet, you know, our policy as far as always be, our kennel is always open. Any dog that leaves here, 100% can come back, no questions asked. So, you know, if there's any, any question at all about, you know, whether this dog is going to, going to be the right fit we take it back no questions asked so you know we're, we're pretty picky about where the dogs go but we do have a lot of people in line now that are waiting for you know for pups they can still go out to be very good active pets or you know in some cases they can be sport dogs or dock diving dogs or fly ball or agility there's so many jobs out there so many active jobs out there for for high drive dogs now um, there's no shortage of places to put these where they can still be gainfully employed for the next 15 years whether they're stopping bad guys on the street or not. Interesting. Yeah, we do that too. Um, like the ones that we wash from the working side, um, we're super particular about where we place them. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, just because they don't work doesn't mean I mean, it's still a working line Malinois. I mean, they still have some of those tendencies and, oh, I, yeah. and, and I still, and I warn people, I'm like, I know I'm I'd like, this is a quote unquote pet, but I mean, they'll still unstuff your couch and do all the normal shit that every, all the horror stories are still like, you know, you still have to provide like active, you know, you still have to do this. And we have some that like, for whatever reason, they don't like small kids and they just, so, you know, we're, and you know, Scott's the same way. Like if we sell a dog, he can always come back no matter how old he is or she and it, it, it can always come back to us. Um, and frequently for like my officers that are close, like I board dogs, I board them for free. Um, dogs that we have sold that are local, that are pets. Um, I board them for free. Yeah, we like do families go Yeah, so, I mean, it's super important to us that the dogs are taken care of and that they have like a good home. And it doesn't necessarily, like you said, need to be out nuking fools, but they can be out chasing tennis balls and running around up at uh, like one of our local outdoor areas, Turkey Mountain, where everybody takes their dogs. And so... But yeah, um, which was kind of a question, like, what do you do with them? You do the same thing we do. So we, we give dogs away yeah. and put them in places where they will be able to successfully live forever. And one of my friends is an attorney here in Tulsa. Um, she's a great friend of ours, and she has one of our one of our washouts. Um, in fact, she's one of Valor, who's a, dog, a beast of a dog that we have in a local department. It's on a Marshall's task force. Well, one of his litter's mate, one of his litter mates uh, is a female, and she just <laughs> like just a f- potato <laughs> and, yeah. and you know every time Kenzie sees Fowler she's like I can't believe they were like in the same litter I'm like yeah well it happens so <laughs> I mean I don't know what you want me to tell you but yeah so I, I get that um, so at what age are you kind of looking for those depending on the dog um, when we're looking at drive or we're looking at relative to the dog that we're kind of evaluating um, the ones I see you're giving away are like 12, 15-ish weeks old or so. Well, yeah, you know, we start to make those those initial assessments as early as we can because the bulk, the bulk of our puppies that are that are going to be, you know, that are being sold as puppies, they typically leave around eight weeks. So, you know, I need to have a really good idea by eight weeks if possible. If there's a question mark, you know, we may set that one aside for another couple of weeks and give them a little extra time to develop if there's something that we're kind of on the fence about. If it's a really obvious sign, 
you know, we've we've made we've made decisions as early as six weeks, and then we just kept them around until they were weaned and doing well on their own, and then placed them, you know, as, you know, seven or eight weeks with, you know, with with a lot of confidence and knowing that we were making the right decision. But yeah. it's not uncommon for me to look at a puppy, you know, at seven weeks and say, ah, you know, if I'm comparing them to this big broad database that we've got over the last twenty years of other puppies at that age, uh, okay, this puppy's a little behind. But then I see that same puppy two weeks later, and I'm like, holy shit, he's, he's really starting to come around. And now he's he was behind at, at compared to the other seven, you know, compared to my seven-week-old database that I have. He was a little behind, but now he's nine-weeks. Right he's exactly where of our average normal puppies are at nine weeks. And that happens sometimes. You know, like I said, it's, it's no, there's no science, there's no real science to it. And, Certainly, there's bloodlines that developed at different rates, and, and the way they're exposed and the way they're in, you know, interacted with has has something to do with that as well. But you know, like if I'm on the road, for example, if I've got a, you know, if the interns are really busy, or we get a new intern here that maybe isn't up to speed exactly on how we want to develop puppies, and we have to be gone when these puppies are, say, four to six weeks. So there's there's two very valuable weeks there that this particular litter may have missed out on a little. No, no one's fault. So when I get back in the other six weeks, I'm like, well, they're definitely a little behind where the average six-week-old puppy is. But uh, two weeks is often enough time to get them right on track where they need to be. Um, and then sometimes I can put all my effort into them. And, I, you know, I, at four weeks, I saw, you know, I saw signs of nerve issues, reactive puppies, and the same puppies at six weeks are still reactive. And despite all of the work we can put into them, now they're eight, nine weeks old, and they're still reactive. Hey, at that point, we're going to cut our losses. And maybe he turns around, and at six months, he's an eight. He's a monster. And if that happens for you, but, uh, you know, I'm not gonna... I always ask myself this simple question. Before I'm about to put a puppy in a crate and ship him across the country, you know, the easiest thing I can do is just say to myself, if I were the customer in LAX about to take this puppy out of a crate when he lands here, and I just paid $2,500 for this thing, would I be would I be happy about this purchase or would I be disappointed? And if if I can honestly say I'd be happy with this puppy, then I'll ship them. And and, and I so far, you know, knock on wood, when when I make that decision, I ship that puppy. Every single time, first feedback I get from the client on the other end is, "Holy shit, what an awesome puppy!" He came crashing out of the crate, smashed into the first thing that he found on the ground, and I couldn't take it away from him. And that's he carried that back to the house, and he's been like that ever since. You know, and that's. That's the type of puppy that I want for me, and that's the type of puppy that I want to ship to you who paid $2,500 for it. And if I get a puppy that, you know, that he doesn't show me that, you know, there's, yeah, there's times I, I it's painful to do, and I hate doing it. And there's times I question, is it the right decision? But, you know, there's plenty of puppies that, that aren't like that, that I just make a decision. I don't want to put them on a plane and ship them. But to answer the question, generally, I, I like to have that decision made by eight weeks. But sometimes that is impossible. Sometimes we have to keep them a little longer and see. And there's been times when, when you know, don't think that just because I've, I've, I've decided to contact you with a now 11-week-old puppy, you know, that doesn't mean that he's an inferior puppy. Maybe it means that, that at eight weeks I didn't have the confidence in him. But if I contact you at, at 11 weeks, I, I wouldn't be contacting you if he wasn't a good puppy now. Uh, maybe he right. developed a little slower, but, you know. But if he's, if it's a puppy, I say, hey, I'm gonna put my name on this puppy and send him. Whether he's eight weeks or eleven weeks, he'll be a good puppy when you get him off the point. 
Excellent. It's so, just not, you know, the dog world's just not that, not that. For me, it just doesn't work. You know, it's a pretty small world, and yep. you know, I kind of know everybody in the dog world, and, and you know, screwing somebody out of one puppy is not how I built my reputation, and you know, my livelihood doesn't depend on selling this one puppy for full price, or I have to shut the doors and I'm going to starve to death. You know, if it gets that bad, I'll do something else. But for me, it, yeah. just, it isn't worth it. You know, I'd way rather cut my losses, give you a puppy, and you're happy because you got a great deal, than, than try to cover up a problem and sell it for full price and, and hope that nobody finds out about it, you know? Yeah. So um, you mentioned mistakes earlier. So in raising some puppies over the last long time, uh, what are some of the mistakes you've made? You know, I think the biggest mistake I made early on was probably, uh, you know, and it scares me to this day when I when I get an exceptional puppy, you know, because I'm afraid that the people that buy these excellent standout puppies are going to make the same mistakes that I made, which is simply pushing a, a great puppy way too far and way too fast. You know, a lot of people think that because he can do this, that he should be doing it. Um, you know, and so it's, and, and sometimes, you know, the Internet oftentimes makes that worse, too, uh, admittedly. You know, if I, if I get a super nice puppy, I may do something kind of crazy and, and video some, you know, some radical shit that this puppy is doing um, and post it, uh, you know, and and then people see that and they're like, okay, this is how Mike must work his puppies. And so they, they, they get this puppy and they just unload on them with both barrels. And, and every session is like that from the time they get the puppy till the time they break them which is, you know, some sometimes three sessions later. Um, but if, if you get a normal puppy, you can't do that shit because a normal puppy isn't ready for that, so no normal trainer pushes him too far or too fast, and he develops at a normal rate. And now you see him as a two-year-old, and he's a very nice, solid dog that was imprinted correctly and brought along at the appropriate speeds. But if you get a hammer, a rock star puppy, it's really easy to push him too far, and next thing you know, you've... you've, you've created a lot of baggage in this otherwise perfect puppy uh, and you've done so by just pushing him too far i use the analogy all the time you know i i've got a cousin um who is you know when he was 16 years old he was bigger and stronger than most 25 year old men and could throw a football you know from goal post to goal post with incredible accuracy and could express 400 pounds he's just a freak at 16 years old but and so you see him doing all this amazing stuff and you say, holy shit, you know, he's just, a, he's a specimen. But if you were to give him a, a rifle and put him in a combat zone and have people, you know, shooting at him and, and you know, the stress of, of combat happening around him at 16, he's going to implode because physically he's a superstar, but he's still mentally, he's still a 16 year old child. And, and that's the way I look at these puppies. If you get a puppy that's a rock star that, that appears to be able to do all kinds of amazing things far you know, far more advanced uh, compared to other puppies his age, that doesn't mean he should be doing them. doesn't mean that he's, you know, that he should, you know, that he's not going to crumble if you continue to make every session like that. And, and I, you know, I'm guilty of having done that in the past, and, and I oh, see yeah. a lot of people that do it today. And that's probably the, the biggest mistake that I have made with great puppies is push them too far too fast and ruin them. Yeah, that, uh, I can see that. Yep, absolutely. I get a lot of people, a lot of people messaging me like, how young can I start bite work? How young can I start <laughs> yeah. bite work? And I'm like, well, I just got the puppy. When can I start? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you have the rest of such a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I say it all the time. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> 
I tell people all the time, I was like, I you got the rest of your four-month-old. Could he bite the suit? Yeah. You, I tell people all the time, I was like, you have the rest of that dog's life to fuck him up. You don't need to rush into that. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we are going to take a break real quick, uh, and then we're going to be back and talking about what happens after we find the good puppy and how we don't push him too far. So everybody wait up. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. All right, guys. Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020 hits. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jeff Barrett, one of the owners of hits, uh, for his retirement. Jeff's oh, yeah. a good dude. Um Ted and I are going to be instructing there this year. It's the best conference out there, period. It's yep. the biggest and the best. Um, it's in Scottsdale. never been there. Can't wait. You know, it's in the desert, and the hotel has a wave pool. So, guys, we can go surf. All you dudes can be out there, you know, with your dad bods and all that stuff, um, hanging out. Ted, Here, when and where? Can. What are we doing? <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> uh, August 18th through the 21st, 2020. Uh, yeah, everybody can bring their night their their night shift tan out and surf in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's uh, hits canine letter k number nine dot net. Get signed up. I think about six weeks before uh, tickets go up, or so. Be sure to uh, head on over. And if you were part of a Patreon member of ours, we gave away a free uh, pass this year too. So also pays to be a Patreon member because you could go for free. Well, at least the 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 uh, ticket price would be free. So yeah. Uh, one of our other sponsors that we're really stoked about and has been with us for a long time is Ray Allen. Ray Allen has been around forever. And it's not just for police dogs. It's for working dogs, pets, uh, bird dogs, gun dogs, and, of course, police dogs and sport dogs. But they have everything from leashes to handler equipment to uh, we actually do the muzzles for them, the uh, Ramtech muzzles here, uh, the working dog drag ones there. So, yeah, those are uh, fantastic. If you use the discount code Working Dog Radio. Uh, you'll get 10% off, um, and it's rayallen.com. Head on over, hit them up, order something. I'm a knee collar guy, right? I train all my dogs on knee collars, and I use, for all my working dogs, man, it's Dogtra. That's all it is, Dogtra. Uh, the, I, I maintain over and over the 1900S is the best collar on the market for police dogs. 1900S by Dogtra. It can, you can get a Molly attachment for your vest for the uh, controller, and uh, I, I love the 1900S. Ted, talk about the ball popper that you love. Oh, yeah, the ball popper and the ball popper pro. It's a popper and a dropper. You can tie multiple of them together, I think eight at a time. And it'll launch a tennis ball about waist height. And then you can load up to three to drop them. And I hide them. I actually modify them and put magnets all over them and stick them under cars, under our bus and all kinds of stuff. We'll put them inside cars to launch tennis balls out when we're training dogs. Batteries are rechargeable on the pro. And it's got a little bit uh, shorter response time on the remote. So you get a better response from the dog and the window is much shorter in terms of the reaction from the unit but yeah i love that thing uh we gave away some of those also during our patreon giveaway uh christmas last year so and the year before that so there's some people out there that have gotten that love them so i like i like them a lot for sure yeah we have a discount code if you check them out go to dogtra.com discount code wdr10 for 10 percent off a single item over 200 dollars. dogtra.com yeah, you know, one of the sponsors has been with us since the beginning is Highland Canine out in North Carolina. It's the Pergasons, Jason and Aaron. Love those guys. Jason's actually been on the podcast before. He's an instructor at a lot of the conferences we go to. 
fantastic trainer. Uh, they run a school there that accepts the VA and they've got customers from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, they've developed programs for, um, African nations and, uh, have had lots of dogs come through. Uh, they do green dogs, they do seminars, they do top to bottom police dogs with handler schools included. Uh, and because of that, they've got on-site living accommodations for handlers during handler schools. So top to bottom, front to back, beginning to end, they got you covered. Head over to tacticalpolicek9training.com. That's letter K number nine. And check out everything they've got going on in the seminars coming up. We actually gave away a $500 gift certificate during uh, our Christmas giveaway in 2019. So yeah, be sure to head over tacticalpolicek9, letter K number nine, training.com. So one of the best things that we ever have gotten on this podcast is our relationship with VetCare and their product QuickDerm. We make no secret about it. I tell everybody, um, they're like, yeah, my dog's got this going on. This, this injury got cut here, do that. I'm like, get QuickDerm by VetCare. It's, it's like magic elixir. It really is. It's crazy how good it works and how fast it is as advertised. It's one of my uh, favorite relationships that we have. QuickDerm by VetCare. Um, Ted, I know you used it on yourself, I think. Yeah, I got nuked by a dog last year and you had to get some stitches, but it definitely helped clean it up. Uh, in fact, you have a buddy that's up close mm. to you that owns a uh, pet business that had a dog come in that he used it on to keep this dog. The, the problem from getting worse that the owner didn't realize had that had the dog had when he got dropped off, uh, which is kind of what this stuff's about. It prevents little things from becoming big problems. So, you know, dogs cut themselves, especially working dogs. You know, stuff gets stuck in their paw. Happy tails, another common one. Um, they get their muzzles all torn up and stuff from dealing with uh, crates and kennels. It's super easy to apply. Works really well. You only have to do it once a day. It's not like rocket science. So, yeah, head over to VetCare. Dot us and use the discount code 10WDR for a 10% off discount off your first order. Speaking of easy, that's why I like VetCare, but also easy is Horizon Structures. We get information uh, passed to us all the time and questions passed to us all the time about, oh, what's the best kennel to use? Do you use this? Do you use you know, these pre-made panels, whatever else? If you're going to invest the money to create a commercial, whether it's the police side or whatever, invest the money in horizon structures. It's literally like plug and play. So you have the pad set up, you tie it into sewer and water. They show up with a flatbed truck, they drop that sucker off and it's plugged in. You can put dogs in it an hour after they leave. It's fantastic. Eric, what do you think of those things? I, I tell you this, I remember you built that, uh, that one kennel oh, yeah. that you had. I guarantee there. you, if you knew that horizon structures was available, you'd have just done that. It's, I can't, um, I'm looking everywhere for a kennel and there's just never, anything's not, perfect. You know, it's just not working out for me. So I'm trying to find a, a good spot where I can get Horizon Structures. I've been on their website, horizonstructures.com, went through everything, looked at the tutorials, looked at their videos. Um, dude, it's, you drop it, put dogs in it. So how simple is that? It's amazing. They have financing available, everything, horizonstructures.com. Yeah. And it's custom. You can literally do yes. whatever you want. Like from insane, from mild to wild, insane to normal. I mean, anything you want, but yeah, horizonstructures.com. Hit them up. All right, guys, we are back talking to Mike Suttle from Logan Haas Kennels down in West Virginia. Most likely not sunny West Virginia, if it's anything like Ohio. But <laughs> no. um, before the break, we were talking. Yeah, before the break, Ugh. we were, Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, it's going to turn to snow here Wednesday. It's supposed to get real bad. But uh, before the break, we were talking about um, the mistakes you know, that, that Mike saw early on and that I'm sure is the biggest mistake people are making about pushing the puppy too hard. However, 
What I do want to talk to you about, Mike, is we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, and, and I, I, I've heard you talk about it in the past, and I know um, Pat Nolan talks about it and other folks, is what you can actually do surprisingly well with a puppy um, at such a young age with their nose and, um, and you know, marker training and things like that and, and how well that they lear- can learn at such a young age even more though more than just sit. And, and if I remember right, you have a whole, like, school for it. Like, you have classes a couple few times a year where people come down and, and do things with puppies. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we do have a, you know, we have a puppy imprinting and development class that we teach uh, more than just a few times a year. We actually teach it, you know, on average about once a month. Um, and I, and I finally got my video, you know, series up and going as well. So, you know, we've got a, a, a puppy series where you can, you know, it's, it's a one time $50 fee where we have, uh, we probably have already have 50 videos up there and the plan is to not stop anytime soon, continuing to upload videos of, of training and various different things, you know, from shaping behaviors to detection. We're going to do some chicken stuff and some puppy grip development and dry building early on, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we talked about pushing puppies too early. I was talking mostly about bite work, and that does now. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean we don't do bite work with puppies. It just means it's all age appropriate, right? We're not going after them at eight weeks old and expecting to bite into <laughs> suit and take yeah. take crazy stick hits and doing muzzle fighting shit. You know, you'd be sure you laugh, but you'd be surprised. I'm oh, I, I'm laughing because I've seen it. You know, so so you know, there's a difference between pushing a puppy too fast. And then just locking him in a bubble and not doing anything with him. Like I, I don't, I don't adhere to either of those philosophies. You know, we definitely work and we take him out. We work him daily, uh, but it's that it's that what we consider to be age appropriate, you know, uh, places in their brain. So there's a, a puppy can do is capable of doing a lot, particularly when you make it his idea and you get fun and exciting for him. So we do a lot of shaping. We do you know a ton of market training early to encourage the puppy to try. And be as awkward as he can be. You know, it's not uncommon for me to have that we keep just for a couple of weeks that already knows 15 to 20, you know, behaviors. Now he's not 100% on any of them, but he understands the concept of doing 15 or 20 completely different behaviors. And then if I do that foundation early on, not only am I teaching him the value of being awkward, I'm also teaching him, you know, that teaching him what a marker means, which is going to be very, for me, it's going to be helpful later in his life, other stuff as well. But I'm, I'm just doing laying that foundation. So if I put him in the back burner and never go back and do that it, again, you know, or for another year, um, and then we bring him out as an adult and say, okay, I need him to be able to do this, 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 and this. Probably had some foundation of something getting up to that when he was eight weeks old. So even though he was only 60 or 80% proficient at it when I stopped, I can bring him out now as a year-old dog and pick up in, in just a few sessions. I can have him right back where he was and maybe even 100% uh, or 90% proficient at it after three more sessions. Um, so for me, the, the early foundation is important because it does it does kind of give him a big head start and stuff I'm going to ask him to do later, uh, particularly things like tracking and detection and, you know, behavior shape. But we do, we do a lot of emphasis on, on puppy detection stuff, and I know there's a lot of trainers that, you know, that believe that's a big waste of time to to work with them early on. Um, you know, my argument for that is, well, you know, we do basic behavior shaping with them early. We do foundation for tracking early on. 
certainly we do drive building and grip development, fundamental work early on. Why should we, you know, why, why is, is it crazy to think that we can, you know, that we can't do detection fundamentals and, and foundational work early on? And I've done enough of it now to, to, to say that, you know, without a doubt, it's absolutely not a waste of time. And it certainly does help the clarity of the behavior as the dog develops and gets older. So, you know, with our puppy, we, we try now to, to schedule a, a puppy drive building or a puppy imprinting and development class with every litter that's born here. So when we do a breeding, we know we're going to have puppies in 63 days. Seven weeks after that, they're going to be old enough to start working. So, you know, essentially four months from when I do a breeding, I'm starting to schedule classes bring students in so we're going to have seven week old training models that i can use to teach the students but also students can help me get these puppies ready so the client gets the puppies they've all been exposed to this puppy imprinting um class which includes detection 100 percent. every single puppy that leaves has had a minimum of three days uh, in detection which isn't three days is not huge but it's definitely enough to give them a big head start uh if the client gets those puppies and continues with that They'll definitely appreciate that head start that they got here for sure. You know, that's something. Do you have <clears throat> to um, go ahead, Ted? No, I was going to say, you know, that's something. I, I have a couple of dogs that I raised from and ended up selling them green, and I wish I hadn't. Um, but I sold them to apartments, <clears throat> and these guys came back, and they're like, God dang, this is like the easiest dog in the world to train. And of course I didn't, I didn't tell them, I didn't say, Oh, I've done this marker training. I've done that marker training. They know, like, and I don't pair, I don't give the dogs commands. Like as I'm training them, like I don't tell them to sit, like I just wait for them to offer and I shape and you know, we do all that stuff and teach the dog how to interact with human beings. And you know, they go to department, you know, after they're kind of like green ish. And of course I haven't imprinted on any odor cause I don't know what they're ultimately going to end up on. Uh, but they at least understand the game. And these guys are like, man, this is like the easiest dog in the world to train. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I get that. And what, what you've experienced, I've experienced too. We had several um, dogs that I did like three or four months worth of work on. And then they sat for, I don't know, maybe three or four more months. And we got them out like once a week and messed around with them, whatever else. But then one of them got sold and I busted him out. And within like three sessions, I mean, he was right back to where he was at and I was able to take the next step forward. But it was because I had done that initial and, you know, I was able to finish him pretty quick. So, I mean, it, it was, it's a huge, huge asset to be able to have them raised that way. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. I know a lot of police departments don't. That I, that I damn sure know that they right. have no idea. So that's a huge, huge so, factor. When yeah, people sign up for your puppy imprinting class. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, so when they come down for your, this is kind of what I was going to lead into. When they come down for your puppy imprinting class and you're watching, do you have to, listen, not everybody's even coordinated enough to click a clicker and give a dog a, a, a piece of food, no. like in a timely manner. Do you have to stay like really vigilant on them so they don't screw the puppy up, or is it are they more or is the puppies just more forgiving? So the the biggest the biggest thing that I try to teach students in our class is to improve their timing and their mechanical skills. And I tell them on day one when you come to this class, it's a three day class. I don't want you to have you know unrealistic expectations because sometimes they bring their own puppies as well. You know, and it's important that I. To help them understand 
this is a three-day class. We're going to be very limited on how far we can take your puppy that doesn't know anything, that has never even heard a clicker before this morning. But as long as I can concentrate on taking you as far as I can take you during this three days, forget about how far we get your puppy, right? The puppy is here as a training model for you. And more importantly, with our classes, the chickens are here as a training model for you. So your timing, it could be a train wreck when we start. I expect it to be. But by the end of the first day, you're going to have played the trainer's game with us where we're, we're using a, you know, we dedicate a human training model. We send him out of the room. We come up with a behavior for this person to do. And every single person in the class, individually, one at a time, we take turns using a clicker to train a student training model you know, to perform some behavior. So that, that kind of helps set the premise for the importance of, of the perfect timing. Timing is the biggest mistake in dog training. And we're using puppies and chickens and each other in these classes to help students develop more perfect timing. The chickens are fantastic for that because they're about three times faster than the fastest dog you've ever seen relative to the behaviors you needed to do on the table. And when you're timing, you know, when you're working a chicken, you're going to see exactly how far off your timing is, how slow you really are. Um, and after three days of working the chickens and every student works the chickens every day in class as well, you know, the, the critique sheets that we get, you know, the, um, you know, the, the handouts that we get with the students, they, they turn in these critique sheets at the end of the class. Overwhelmingly, most students will tell, you know, that they say that it was the chickens that helped them the most relative to improving their timing. And once their timing gets perfected, then all, you know, all of a sudden animal training is a hell of a lot easier now that your timing has, has been unfucked. So you know, once the, the, the chickens are fantastic for that. But yeah, to answer your question, you know, we, we do, I do kind of stay on top of them. You know, we're really big on, you know, click before you move, make sure you click at precisely the right time and, and don't be afraid. You know, the biggest thing is a lot of times people are, you know, they'll, they'll stay behavior, recognize it, maybe even be able to forecast and predict it's about to happen, but they're just, they don't have the confidence to send the click, you know, to let it go. They just don't have the confidence to click for that. And now they've missed it. And, you know, um, and so we, we use the chickens to to perfect timing. We use the puppies to perfect your timing. It always makes me a little, I'm always a little on edge because while people do bring their puppies occasionally, the bulk of the puppies in class are my own puppies that, you know, and I have to keep reminding myself, you know, you're not going to break anything with a clicker. So just take a deep breath, Mike, you're not going to hurt your puppies. But certainly it's, it's frustrating mm-hmm. when, when their timing is, is a shit show. But I just have to remind <laughs> myself that's why they're here. You know, they're here to get their timing better. And my job is to get their timing better. If I'm just jumping up and down, you know, off in a gasket, that's not going to help them. I need to actually take a deep breath and help them get their timing better. And it works out pretty well. And, you know, most students are pretty impressed by how much better they are when they leave here after just three days. I have yeah, to remind myself that way. I, 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 I got to remind myself about handlers the same way. Like when I have new handlers and I'm watching them handle a leash and I'm like, okay, this is day three. I understand. Stop. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just hit him with a cattle prod. <laughs> I just beat him. I just smack him with stings. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Get that other hand off the leash. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, um, yeah I'm definitely not having that. green handlers clicking anything. <laughs> so before we move on, I want to move on to uh, like the adolescents, the dogs that you end up trying to keep because Ted's got some questions about building a, building a green dog for the market. Um, so how many times, so the, the funniest thing I think about, um, 
puppies is because humans, I don't know if it's everywhere or if it's just in the United States, but every time, and you know this from having a kennel and Ted, you know this from having a kennel, when a lot of departments come to your place to not look at a specific dog, but to see what you have, they still always want the biggest one or the yeah, bigger right, dogs yeah. always garner the most attention. Um, I see that all the time. And um, how many times a week do you think you a- answer questions about will the dog's ears stand up? Oh, Jesus Oh, Christ. fuck me. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot. Uh, more, all the more time. More than you would think, more than you would think I, I should have to. I'd like to think we do a really good job of, of selecting people that are Malinois savvy. And, and to me, that, that should mean you, having a basic understanding of the way that Malinois ears develop, and shepherd ears too, for that matter. Um, surprisingly, there's a hell of a lot of people that don't understand that a puppy goes through a period where their ears are soft and flopped over. Uh, they just don't understand that. And it, it never ceases to amaze me how many people there are that don't understand that. So, yeah, I answer that question a lot. Will his ears stand? Yes, his ears will stand. <laughs> Eventually. Plus, everyone knows floppy-eared Malinois bite harder anyway. You don't want the standard right. ones anyway. Every floppy-eared Malinois I've ever seen bites, the, like, you, your soul leaves your body when he bites you. Like, yeah. I, that, that is, that's a hard fact. I, we're not even arguing about it. If they have floppy ears, Kirk they bite Kirkman harder. and I always yeah. used to joke, you know, occasionally <laughs> Kirkman would find me a dog that had a floppy ear and, he and I used to always, you know, he would buy it knowing it was going to be a little more difficult to sell, but we always used to joke that, you know, they, they don't bite with their ears. And you're right, you know, certainly, at least the ones that we bought that had floppy ears, we didn't buy them just because they had floppy ears. So for sure there was other, there was more to them than just the soft ear. But absolutely, I, you know, the dogs that we've had through here that did have soft ears, they worked just as well as any other dog that had pointy ears. But not going to we've only had literally, I can count on one hand, out of all the puppies we've had, over 100 litters, I can count on one hand the number of, of puppies that didn't have two very normal standing ears. So it's, the number is very, very small. But, you know, I can confidently say without even, you know, without worrying about it at all, yes, these ears will stand, and, and 99% of the time I'll be right. Yeah. Well, there's a thousand, there's a hundred thousand pictures of Malinois on the internet, and all of them have pointy ears. Yours will too. Yeah. Just relax. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just wait. His teeth will fall out. I promise. And then the new ones yeah. will come in. You don't have to hurry. No, you don't need to pull <laughs> them out. Like just fucking wait. Let him be a puppy. God. Yeah. That's I. I fight that all the time, which is why I hate dealing with uh, puppies and people. And yeah, that. Yes, yeah. I understand. <laughs> just wait. Wait. Just wait. Very rarely has anything ever not fixed it on that kind of shit. If you just wait. Yeah. <laughs> So once we have this correct selection, right? So we've gone through the selection of a a good puppy. We found a rock star. We're not asking him to do adult dog stuff. Um, We're teaching him, we're imprinting, and we're doing all of these things. Um, You know, we kind of hit on it a little bit earlier. Um, You know, green means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I've sold dogs that have titles, like PH1 titles, that the department that bought them considered green. And I'm like, dude, the only thing you got to teach them to do is a little bit of tracking and how to find drugs. Like other than that, it's done. And that was green to them. Right. And then I've sold a 12 month old dog that I'm pretty sure had only seen a tennis ball about two weeks before they bought him and they were able to finish him. Now they went to, he went to a great trainer. 
Um, and the guy knew what he was doing and everything else. So when we start talking about, let's say, you know, you've got a puppy program and you're doing it where you're raising them for like we do, um, we keep the ones back so that I produce dogs for our program to sell, to finish, then to sell to departments. Um, and sometimes I sell them green. I don't like doing that, but, uh, and then a lot of times we finish them. So when we start talking about green dogs and this isn't a selection conversation, but going from kind of like that little imprinting phase to moving them into, um, being selected for a green dog. So if you're listening to this and you own a kennel, maybe you have some really nice dogs and you know, they produce good dogs or, and I, people are going to fucking shit on me for saying this and you can bite me, but there are people that produce fantastic sport dogs and PSA and Mondial ring that had those dogs taken a different fork in the road at a different point in life would be fantastic patrol dogs. Um, Kendall oh. owns a dog that I'm sure you know who he is, Kilo. And that dog is, I'm surprised Leah Ray was even able to get him as far as he did in PSA because that dog's a fucking monster. And he would even be rough to handle as an experienced handler on the street. That dog is no fucking joke. And so how do we as trainers and as breeders, um, whether you're sport or law enforcement or whatever, prepare dogs for testing for law enforcement? And I say that prepare, not in a negative term, like we're trying to game the system or something because we're assuming we've done the selection or we've washed them or we're not trying to hide genetic defects of or nerve issues or drive issues or whatever it is. But where, what's a good baseline for a green dog at, you know, 12 to 14 months old? Uh, you know, I, I think, I think most green dogs should be All dogs should should have good toy drive. Demonstrate good toy drive. Good festivals. Environmental, you know, soundness. The dog is willing to jump and climb, you know, on things. Um, I think it should have great, you know, a lot of desire to go out and hunt for a toy, both outside in a field and inside in a, in a you know, in a building type. Regardless of the age, I think that's that's important. I mean, I think by the time I'm showing off as a green prospect that's the thing that i that i expect you to want to see and relative to bite work you know um 12 months from me the dog wouldn't be doing any muzzle work yet but he certainly would, would have a basic understanding of where to target on a suit you know he would target the upper body he would target you know probably the inner thigh the back of the calf um but again he wouldn't have any muzzle work probably at that at 12 months old and he probably wouldn't have it out yet either but that's where I would expect him to be. If I were to show you a dog as a green dog, you know, I wouldn't say, well, he's, you know, he's never bitten asleep before, but he's got a lot of right, you know, a lot of drive to chase a rag. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say, well, he's never hunted for a toy, but he'll chase a toy. So I, I assume he'll hunt, you know, I mean, I, cause I see I've tested green dogs and that's been, you know, what, what I've been shown. But, you know, for me, a green dog is a dog that I can take today and put into a class tomorrow. Now there's no expectation of him being finished. But I can take him today, uh, put him into a, into my next handler's class, and without having to wait on him to, to develop, he should be able to you know to continue on through this handler's course with all the other dogs in his class. Um, you know that's kind of what I'm looking at when I'm looking at a you know at a green dog. And honestly, 12 months may be a little young. Most of the green dogs that I show people are going to be probably a little closer to 18 months. But but that that's what I would expect to see if I was buying a green dog and that's the type of green dog that I would show if someone comes here to buy one. 
Yeah, Unless and you know, Eric, a radical difference in the price. You know, I mean, somebody says I got a three thousand right. dollars budget. Well, obviously, that's going to change what I can show you, but. Well, and that's the thing, like, and, you know, Eric and I had that conversation. Um, he just sold a dog to a department and, um, to the dudes, Eric was telling me about what they did. And to those dudes credit, you know, they were giving the dog, um, age appropriate exercises and pressure, um, during certain exercises, um, to evaluate the dog, which I mean, is, you know, valid, but I see, you know, for instance, I, we'll get bid requirements. Like if you're any, you, I'm sure you did them too. Like you'll see bids like come out and people just, you know, you just get them in your email and they're like, oh, we're soliciting bids for this, right? Sometimes they're super specific and sometimes they're not. And there's always a vague portion in every thing that they say, because nobody will tell you because everybody, every canine trainer in the fucking country that works for an agency thinks that they have the special sauce for selecting special, a fucking, yeah, You've never they have their, own, yeah, and they're super selective and secret about it, and they don't fucking tell everybody, and I'm like, bro, believe me, <laughs> somebody's done that before, I'm sure, and, or I've seen it a hundred times or whatever, so, but it's super vague, like, dog has to pass, some verbiage that says dog has to pass all, you know, testing, right? But then right below it, it'll give you the age requirements. Dog needs to be no more than, let's just make take an example, 36 months old. I'm like, well, shit. Like, that's a little... And on top of that, because it's a bid, you don't know what the budget is. So, I mean, technically, you could take them an eight-month-old puppy, or you could take them a 31-month-old dog that's damn near titled, and without knowing their testing criteria, and they won't tell you, right? So you're just supposed to fucking show up and bring whatever you bring, and then they do whatever they think they're going to do for testing. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, you know, versus the, the, like the Border Patrol test, which I'm pretty sure everybody knows. Everybody knows the Border Patrol test. People, people, you know, prepare for it. They take dogs down there and they still fucking fail them. But sure. it's kind of, it's, you know, it, so what I hope people like get from this is, that I want them to be able to produce a green dog at an age appropriate level, whether that be 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, or 36 months old, that has an age appropriate amount of exposure and work done to it. And then I see guys all the time too that ask for a 36 month old dog, there's no work up for water. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where are you gonna find that? You find me a working dog from a yeah. working wine that's 36 months old that has no work done to it. And I'll eat my hat. You know, the, now, the big thing is, sometimes you'll find them like chained to a fence, but I mean. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of times and, they, they want to believe, you know, and I've dealt, I've dealt with this with Customs and Border Patrol as well. You know, sometimes they, they, they say this with a straight face as if they actually believe that a true green dog that has not been prepared at all would actually pass their test. And that, that is, fucking bullshit. You know, that isn't the case. So. You know, when, when people talk about a green dog as if it's never seen anything, and then they want to go after it with both barrels and test it as if it were a titled PH1 dog, there's a right. huge disconnect there between what they think is real and what is actually real. And, you know, so, I, again, it all boils down to the, the older you get, the more, you know, the further along you get in the business, you kind of have the luxury of picking and choosing your clients as well. And, like, I yeah. try to align myself with customers that, that get it, with clients that truly understand what they're talking about. That makes everything go better. But sometimes you have the choice. You know, if it, some of the listeners are just starting in this business, for example, you don't have the luxury of turning away a bunch of clients. You may have 10, 15 dogs in your kennel that you need people to sell to. So you right. can't just start turning people away because they appear to be dumbasses. You have to 
accept the fact that some of your clients are going to be dumbasses and you know and that's what you know the people that come to me and say i want a true green dog that doesn't know anything you know and he's got to be this 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 and this and i'm like well you know that doesn't exist like there is no green dog that doesn't truly that doesn't know anything that's going to do the things that you're about to test now i can show you dogs that will pass this test you're about to give them but make no mistake they've been conditioned for this in the past yeah um, and you know, you know some of the things you know. I'm not even talking about targeting or control work. That that's all training. I'm talking about like you know. I've had people come to me and say, okay, well, they just go down a list. Well, okay, step one on this list says the dog must be social. Okay, fair enough. You walk into the kennel, you grab him by the collar, you snap a leash on him, and he doesn't fucking chew you up. You can take him out of the kennel, you can play with him, you give him a toy, you take the toy back. Okay, he's social. Take him in a crowd of people, he doesn't try to kill anybody. Great, the dog is social. Step two is. You have to put a muzzle on him, and he has to go fight me in, in a closet in two minutes. <laughs> okay, now, the probability of a social dog acting that way for two minutes while you're curled up in the fetal position without some type of conditioning. That, I promise yeah. you that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, Because yeah. he's either going to fail your sociability test, or he's going to fail your test. Absolutely. He's truly a green dog. And those, those, yeah. those idiots, the, the, you know, I just like, geez, you just, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about if that's your expectation. With, with adult, right. the truth knows nothing, you know. Yeah, and we get into a lot of those conversations with departments that call for green dogs. Um, and I'm not quite as diplomatic as Scott is, but Scott will just flat out tell people, I don't think you have the ability to finish a green dog. I'm not going to sell you one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, shit, okay. And, and he'll just say, what you need is a started dog. You need us to do all the foundation work on it so you can finish it. You don't need a green dog. And most of the time, and people listening to this, if you're a handler or if you're a trainer, and you know, you're listening to this and you're asking for a green dog, what you need to kind of take a self-evaluation of what you're good at and go to vendors like Eric or myself or my whoever and tell them this is what I'm good at and say this is what I need. And because I've turned down business before too with people that I know for a fact are fucking stupid and come to me and they're like, I want a green dog. I'm like, nope, <laughs> not even, not even yeah. interested because I'm going to see that dog back in three months because they quote unquote wash the dog. So I just, I mean, Eric and I had that conversation the other day, Eric, what is some of the crazy shit you've seen that people expect out of a green dog at an unappropriate age? like recommendation um scenarios uh that's usually that's usually the weirdest thing um so like the guys that came over and tested dogs at my place the other day they tested two finished dogs and they put it on them like two finished dogs yeah you you know um pitch black dark room still person bites leg bites in, in the suit uh just beat the shit out of the dogs i mean they they put it on them like finished dogs um but then you've had guys you've seen guys that you know, you maybe you go take your a green dog to a, a regional training area that has several departments coming to look at dogs, and they're like, yeah, they want to see that. They want to see. Uh, I'd like to do a uh, a building search in a dark room, hidden, you know, underneath a swimming pool, a kiddie's pool, still person uh, must be a leg bite, and I'm like, dude, this is a green dog who <clears throat> we just really started working grips with. Like he's got good grips and. And uh, he'll find the fuck out of a ball. Let's throw, let's throw a fucking rubber Kong in that dark room. He'll do that. But the expectation of um, 
of scenario type stuff. Now, if you're bringing a dog and you're like, yeah, I'll sell this dog as a green dog. He does X, Y, and Z. He should be able to do X, Y, and Z then, you know, in the test. You got you to be careful what you tell them you think the dog can do. Um, like I said, the guys came uh, to test dogs the other day. I said, these, are, these dogs are finished. So we can run full odors. We can run tracking. We can do uh, building searches, scenarios, still persons, dark rooms, elevated bites, under shit, anything. And they sure as fuck did it. I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, don't. If I get a dog uh, from from Holland and it's 15 months old, and I've got him, you know, on a back tie, biting a, a, a barrel sleeve, or maybe even on a suit top, doing decent, you know. Um, don't don't expect me to let you have him dive through the window of a cruiser, you know, and do <laughs> yeah. a, a inside forearm bite and fight him for five minutes inside a Chevy Caprice. You know, and yeah. then and then tell me, yeah, I'll pay your green dog price. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, those those people exist. I talked to one yesterday. Um, <laughs> no lie. So yeah. So if you're listening, like you know, I mean, kind of, you know, everybody needs to kind of evaluate where you're at or where you think you're at or where you need to be, um, because I'll look at a dog, a green dog, like a puppy, and be like, all right. You know, at eight months old, I think, you know, in 16 months, I can have this dog at this point. And then at 16 months old and a further 10 months, you know, at 26 months old, I can have him done. I can have him a finished patrol dog. Like I can see that and we can do it because we do it. Like, that's what I do. But I don't, I think a vast majority of canine handlers and even canine trainers, guys that are agency trainers don't have that experience. Um, so what I hope people take away from this is like, be very, very like there's some departments in Florida um, Florida has a long canine history, um, and a pretty good one. Um, you know, they do a vast majority of those guys down there do a good job and, but they'll, they'll, they'll accept dogs that are, you know, 36 months old and they'll pay for it too, because, you know, if it's going to an experienced handler, then you got your reasons, I got my wants, still got that feeling, but I'm too Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. This is what we do to not fuck them up, and this is where they end up. And... You know, the myth of these dogs that are 36 months old and have never seen a tennis ball and it's all genetics. And I'm like, that's lazy. <laughs> that never happens. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it occasionally. I'm not feeding a dog that long. No. I'm, I'm not negative. feeding a dog 36 months. You're out. Here, we'll get you a job. I'll train you up and finish you and get you a job for Christ's sake. feeding kids that long. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you have litter on the ground now, Mike, right? Wait. Do you, did that, did I see that uh, the other day? Uh, well, I, yeah, they're gone now. I, I don't have anything available okay. now. I've got, uh, I've got a litter due in a couple of weeks, but they're actually sold too. But, you know, most of our puppies are sold before the breeding are even done. You know, a lot of times people see, we advertise their breeding and then people contact us trying to buy a puppy from that breeding. And, and the reality is I advertise that breeding just so people know what, we're doing here but not not it's not it's not an attempt to sell puppies those puppies are sold before the breedings are even are even done but 
You know, you were talking about about Green Dog. One thing I just wanted to mention, you know, you were talking about your reluctancy to sell Green Dogs to some department trainers for fear that they're going to destroy them. You know, I'm even more reluctant to sell eight-week-old puppies to police yep. dog trainers, particularly because, you know, I just had this conversation today, actually, with a, with a lady who wants to get a puppy from me, and she said she has a canine handler in her hometown who has agreed to help her train this puppy. That scares me to death because <laughs> there's such a, such a huge discrepancy between, you know, there's a big difference between a canine handler and someone who understands how to take a puppy and develop him into a potential, you know, police dog two years down the road. Most of the time, those, those two individuals are not the same people. Um, but always, you know, as budgets become, you know, harder and harder to, to, you know, as it's harder for people to come up with money, harder and harder for people to find good adult dogs. There is a, a tendency now for people to buy puppies, for departments to buy puppies with the intention of raising them to make police dogs out of them. And it just scares me to death because even if everything is, you know, logistically everything is in place, they have the budget, they have the time to, out to allow all that. You know, what they often don't have is the experience or the depth of experience on, you know, in their department on how to take a puppy and raise. One thing if you get an 18-month-old dog, if you get an eight-week-old puppy, it's not the same. And it scares me to death to sell good puppies to police dog trainers who are going to raise it as a puppy and develop it into a police dog. That's That always worries the shit out of me. Yeah, and for the same reasons, like, nah, <laughs> yeah, for the exact same reasons. Uh, so, aside from the new litter coming up, it's already sold, so it doesn't really matter. Well, what else do you guys got going on at Logan Haas? Well, like I said, the big thing we're pushing right now is, is our puppies. We've got a canine detection series going, and we've got a puppy uh, series going, uh, and then... You know, just lots and lots of classes. We're getting ready to get on the road. We're heading down to South Carolina, I think, in 10 days to do a, a seminar down there. Fancy goes up. Corpus Christi, Texas, to do a seminar with the Texas State Game Wardens. Uh, we're doing another seminar there the following week down in Texas. Um, I'll be back. And then we're getting ready to go to California. We'll do some stuff with Pete Stevens out in California in April. And with us, we drive everywhere, you know, so it's not like I just hop in a plane the day before class and fly out. I've got to fucking drive, you know, because we're taking, we take 12 chickens and a litter of puppies with us. And, you know, it's a 30-foot a race car trailer full of all the, you know, the props and all the stuff that we need to make these classes go. So it's a pretty big undertaking. So we're coming into the season now where we'll be traveling a whole lot, going from classes to classes all across the country. Awesome, and everybody can see that on uh, Logan on the website, right? Yep, yeah, that's all on, on Facebook. Actually, more so than the website, it is on the <sighs> website. The fastest way to find stuff is on Facebook. That's that's pretty instant. We can I can even update that myself. At in order to get <laughs> on the website, we have to I have to enlist Megan's help to go through the website to get stuff posted. And Facebook's a little faster for everybody. And Facebook is where you guys have your um, series, right? So if you pay, you said it's fifty bucks, I think. Yeah, the the puppy series is fifty dollars, which covers a whole big array of different things. And then the, there's a separate series that's detection only. Uh, that was twenty five dollars. And that that's we've got one dog right now that you know we show training day one where the dog never seen odor before in her life. This is how we imprint it, and this, now we're about three 
go over three weeks into training that particular dog. So you can see, and we don't edit anything out, and we don't, we never do a training session that we don't video. So every single session of the dog's life is video and not edited and posted to the internet for the whole world to laugh at us. So um, I think that's kind of what makes it, what we do is, is a little different. You know, it's one thing if I, if I take a video and I video steps, you know, three and step seven and then step, you know, the, the finished step and this is, this is how it looks. Well, there's, that leaves a lot to be desired. A lot, a lot, a lot of unknowns there if you video it like that, but, if you take training day one, that is truly training day one, and you show the mistakes, and you show the mistakes that I make, and the mistakes the dog makes, and how we get through it, and how it should progress, I think that paints a much more accurate picture of what real training looks like. Um, and so that's that's the the way our series works. So that it shows the good and the bad, uncut, unedited. You know, I think that's better. Yep. And where can people find that on Facebook? Is it under it's, I know it's a group. So basically they send you guys the PayPal thing and then you, yeah, um, so kick you, them in, you kick them into yep. the group. Yeah. You go to PayPal, you PayPal is $25 to Logan Haas kennels at gmail.com. That's the PayPal account. Uh, and then you go to the LHK detection series, Facebook group and request to join. Once we verify that you paid, we add you to the group. And then the same thing with the puppy series. It's uh You'll go PayPal fifty dollars to that, and then the puppy puppy group is the LHK Puppy Series Facebook group, and just gotcha. request to join that group, and we'll add you. Cool, yeah. excellent. And I've actually been by several. We start a shooting group as well. It'll be a little bit different, but um, that's yeah, that's a, something. That we that's something we didn't even talk about. You, you're uh, the fucking ninja with the the voodoo gunwork stuff. So. Yeah, the uh, I've seen a ton of your shooting videos, which the long range stuff is uh, pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, if you guys, everybody listening likes precision shooting, go follow Mike on Facebook too. <laughs> yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Eric was a sniper for a while on SWAT team, so he he understands. Uh, cool. So yeah, Eric, what do you got going on besides what are we doing? HRD. Um. Yeah, we got HRD coming up. Uh, we leave Sunday for Dover, Delaware. We got a um, the big thing that we started doing on HRD guys is uh, these decoy camps. Oh, we yeah. have, um, for lack of a better term, certified decoys that work for us. Uh, and these are guys that we have watched do like a million reps with dogs, safely catch dogs. Can can teach people to safely catch dogs. How to work. Uh, sport guys that want to get into catching police patrol dogs and how that's different than doing some sport dogs. Uh, some of the maneuvers are, are definitely different based on how we want the targeting to happen. Um, and we're looking for people, if they want to host a decoy camp, we're sending a squad of decoys out to uh, train you guys. Um, see, and and that that that's a skill set in its own because like me, I consider myself a very good police decoy. Uh, I catch a billion dogs. I'm not as good about, as good at teaching guys how to do it, if that makes sense. So yeah. we have enlisted the right guys um, to do that. How to, you know, how to get the dogs targeting with them. I just can do it. I'm just, not, <laughs> I'm really good at training guys how to work police dogs. I'm just not really good at teaching them how to decoy for them. Um, I can, I'm good at teaching them how to tell them how they're fucking up. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what pretty, you're doing wrong. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah, but check out hrdpolicecanine.com. Um, uh, you can email Ray, Ray at hrdpolicecanine.com. It's, he's got information on all that decoy camp stuff. Um, and we have a couple dates left in the fall, in the winter. That's it. 
available for uh, HRD events. They're they're booked up pretty good. So, um, anything else you got going? I don't think so. Uh, I think that's good. We, uh, yeah, we kind of covered it all. Mike, man, I super appreciate it coming back on again, second time guest. Um, and it was something we've been talking about doing since like November. So Eric and I were like, okay, now's the time. So yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good, uh, it's been a good episode. I think this one will be good. People will take a lot away from this. And I hope if you're a unit guy listening, a, a unit trainer or listening to this, like you can take us some self-evaluation, which is really what this is about. And if you're a breeder and you have nice dogs, and because I that's one question we get all the time is how do I sell dogs to police departments? I'm like, well, make sure they don't suck. And there's needs to be a little more discussion other than my little smart ass remark. But which is what I hope this was. And uh, yeah, so, man, uh, everybody check out Logan Haas um, dot com. Uh, we'll have the stuff all in the show notes uh, for the mud run. And then uh, on the Facebook group, you go to do the puppy videos and then the detection stuff, too. So, yeah, Mike, it's a great episode. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me back on. It's good talking to yeah. you again. Yeah, so uh, we should yeah, do it again too, buddy. towards the end of the year, I guess. So we'll have you back on. We'll talk. Well, I'm sure I'll find something else to talk about <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, right absolutely. On. Happy to come Excellent. on anytime. We appreciate it. And everybody else, we will talk to you when uh, Eric and I get back from Dover. So we'll see you then. All right, guys. Speaking of uh, getting to train dogs, you know, in the south or in warmer weather, um, we have some good friends down in North Carolina, Highland Canine. Um, their website is tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Besides all the other things they do, they do supervisors courses. Uh, and Ted and I talk about this all the time. Yep. Most supervisors that supervise canine units are thrown into that and don't know shit about supervising canine units. Not at all. In um, fact, most of the federal case law that you see all of this liability that everybody's worried about. Most of it's from admins or failure to supervise. Go look it up. It's mm -hmm. failure to supervise for sure. Oh yeah. So they, they've announced they have two classes scheduled. Um, and listen, you don't have to go to North Carolina for these. They do go out on the road. The first one is February 24th to 26th at Monroe police department in Washington state. So if you're listening to this on the West coast, you're a supervisor or you have a supervisor that needs uh, a really good class on being a canine supervisor, Washington State Monroe Police Department's hosting them February 24th through the 26th. And in April in Texas, Mansfield PD, April 15th to the 17th. Yep. Um, check them out if, if you want to host your own or see what else they got going on. Tactical Police K9, letter K number nine, training.com. Yep, go ahead, I'm up. All right. One of the groups that's been with us since the beginning are the guys from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, that also host the Bravo 3 Conference. Uh, that is Tripwire Operations Group. They have tons of stuff that goes boom, and they are a fantastic training facility for explosives and training of everything related to it for America's first responders, not just for police and military, but also for first responders. So head over to tripwireops.com to hit them up and see what classes they got going on. Um, and then be sure to come and see Eric and I at Bravo 3 this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in October. So our very first sponsor on the podcast was Arno out at uh, ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. Uh, the other day on a Facebook group, uh, somebody asked on there, what's what's the best hidden sleeve on the market? Uh, without a doubt, it, is ALM's hidden sleeve. There's probably 
10, 15 people on that post and they're got in their ALM, ALM, ALM. It is so easy. His stuff is so good. Arno's a good dude, man. If you get a hold of him, that's the guy answering the phone. That's the guy doing all the work. ALMK9Equipment.com. I have a suit from there. Best hugs on the market. Not even close. The best hugs on the market and the best hidden sleeve. Hit up Arno, ALMK9Equipment.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO. That's all capitals for 10% off your first order. You know, one of the things about this podcast that everybody mentions that they love is the intro and exit music. And it was kind of a uh, big deal when we started the podcast to have that. And I want to say thank you personally to Brother Deeg, um, who is the artist and has graciously allowed us to use this music. And everybody be sure to head over to Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Uh, buy a t-shirt or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever and stream his music or go and buy some. Um, he's on tour all the time. He plays Tulsa frequently. Um, I love to see him when he's here. Uh, fantastically talented artist from Louisiana uh, and has graciously allowed us to use his music. So enjoy it. Download more of it. Um, Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Go hit him up, guys. Thanks. <laughs>